This week on the Totally Biased Media Podcast, we talk Zack Snyder's masterpiece, Army of the Dead, discuss the new Friends reunion, Jackson loses all credibility, and more. Stay tuned for this week's episode of TBM. I'm Jackson Walkup, and I break for birds. I'm Jason Simmons, and I'm on Team The Dead. I'm Jordan Walkup, and I'm in your head, in your head, zombie, zombie, zombie. That's right, folks. There are a lot of zombies out there. And thankfully, right now, they're all in Las Vegas for reasons. We're talking about Army of the Dead, the newest film by Zack Snyder. I know what you're thinking. We just talked about a Zack Snyder film, like, a couple weeks ago. And, like, yeah, this guy stays on the grind. He does not stop. He keeps putting out movies. And once again, it's long. We got Dave Batista up in this joint. Ella Purnell. Omari Hardwick. Ana de la Reguera. But not Chris D'Elia and Jackson. What is Army of the Dead? I think uh, the best way to talk about Army of the Dead is first start off... Uh, talk about the opening scene, which is, uh, there's an army convoy carrying some unknown thing to the people driving the convoy until, uh, two very horny people in a car, uh, crash into the convoy and let loose the first zombie who then goes and bites everyone in Las, uh, Las Vegas. And it gets contained pretty quickly to just Las Vegas there's like an entire wall of shipping containers put around it, and it does not infect the rest of the world. And after years of criticism to do it or to not do it, honestly don't remember what, the president decides they're going to nuke Las Vegas to get rid of them zombies. So a casino owner uh, enlists some people to go in and... Uh, break open his casino to get uh i think 200 million dollars out of it and that's the plot an important piece there specifically the people that have been paid to go into this casino and get the money out are also the same people that were helping people get out of las vegas after the zombie outbreak first happened basically we got scott played by dave batista who was with the military, saved a whole bunch of people at the start of the zombie outbreak. Uh, he's now sort of down on his luck. They come to him and say, we'll give you $50 million if you can get us this money out. So go and get the team you need to make that happen. And that team mainly consists of people who have already helped save a lot of people from the zombies in the first place. Now, Jason, why don't you kick us off? What did you think? Of army of the dead it was certainly a, f- a film that i watched i kind of want to go back to that intro that jackson mentioned with the army guys because there were several scenes in this movie which i feel like i should tell everyone it's not a comedy movie it, it takes itself pretty seriously the whole way through 
in the very beginning, those army guys get bitten and turned into zombies. And one of them turns, you know, 90 degrees from the camera, perpendicular. You know, you see the side of his face. And it's like the first time you hear and see a zombie roar. And it is the funniest thing I've seen in a long time. (laughs) It doesn't sound even remotely like it actually comes from the guy. And it doesn't look like it does either. Like he opens his mouth, there's a second, or not like a second, but you know, like there is a noticeable amount of time between when he opens his mouth and when the sound starts coming out. And he sounds like, I I likened it to how I imagine, you know those ancient giant birds, like we found the claw of like a moa or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The zombies in this movie sound like how I imagine those things sound. They don't make like these yeah. guttural roars like you'd expect from zombies. They sound like way too high pitch. It really just sounds like a lower pitch bird noise. <laughs> and I thought about that every single time any zombie roared in the movie, which was a lot. They love roaring. I mean, just about every time there's a zombie on screen, there's also a really uncomfortable roar to go with it. Yeah. Would it be a zombie without it? It could be a different yeah. roar, and that, w- that would be fine. <laughs> And there's a lot of zombie movies without roaring when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, um, There's some important stuff that adds context to the movie that Jackson just left off. The government has like kind of set up a quarantine zone right outside of Las Vegas. And uh, essentially a lot of the people that escaped from Las Vegas but like lived there and lost their homes or their jobs or whatever are kind of forced to live in these quarantine zones, and they're treated like crap. Um, Scott's daughter works in one of these camps. So, she has just want a to, bit of experience oh. with, you know, what's going on with the zombies in Las Vegas, but she hasn't actually seen any of the zombies, as far as I know, other than some stuff I don't want to get into. <laughs> yeah. I also, I just want to mention real quick, uh, this quarantine zone isn't, like, a few miles away from Las Vegas or anything. It's right outside the perimeter for the incredibly infected city. Literally against the walls of the containers. Yeah, they were just like, man, we gotta get people out of this place and into safety. Uh, what is, or how does a uh, 10 feet away sound? You got it. And then, like, they're just there. There's not even, like, an honest-to-God perimeter. There's just the wall and people chilling right beside it. Good thing these aren't World War Z zombies. It's, like, three layers tall. It's not a particularly tall wall. Like, And I think it's only one shipping container thick. Yeah, too. as far as I've seen, it is. it is only one container thick. The zombies are two major things, shown to have super strength, and also seem to not really have any issue getting around things in their way. They're not, like, yeah. shambling zombies like you see in a lot of movies. Like, the zombies can run and, like, kill people. Or at least some of them can. So there's no way the shipping containers would actually hold them in. Since since Jason says that about shambling zombies, there are two types of zombies in this movie. There are ah, the yes. shamblers, which are your average slow-walking zombies. And then the alphas, who are, like, incredibly fast and, like, agile zombies. That can mess you up in a second. <laughs> For some reason, they cannot get over the barrier, and I don't understand why. Yeah. Well, it is kind of... 
this movie is well first off not great i'll say that much but this this movie is ambitious it it tries to go a direction that other zombie movies and just media with zombies in general doesn't go and there are a lot of parallels between the way the zombies live inside of the city versus the way people are living outside and there are some allusions to the fact that like the zombies are actually cool with this like they actually like living there and this is like their home and it's i don't know it's this movie swings pretty hard at some real weird ideas <laughs> to come up in a zombie movie yeah the another interesting thing the alpha zombies are like kind of sentient they're not just walking uh hunger machines yeah they have feelings well it seems like all the zombies <laughs> that are around an alpha are pretty much coherent at least or at the very least they know to follow the alpha zombies orders so there's multiple scenes where you see people surrounded by zombies but like the alpha zombie is protecting them for a short amount of time essentially so the other zombies know like oh we need to leave this thing alone even if it's thrown into the middle of them <laughs> i like how i've started referring to the humans as it now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just uh something interesting yeah. i noticed halfway through that sentence <laughs> and i i don't know if this really goes into spoiler territory or not um but the zombies the sentient ones the alphas have a king and a queen actually yeah <laughs> yeah like they've they very much established their own sort of society in that which i fully expect will be explored a little more in depth in the future because there are both sequels and prequels planned for this movie and in true Zack Snyder fashion, there's a lot of setup for those things in this movie, but I don't know that it necessarily merits a sequel or a prequel. I, I imagine at least the prequel will be cool. Uh, I mean, it's established that Scott and at least like a couple of his friends that join him on the team in this movie, uh, they have like a lot of experience in las vegas like hunting zombies and saving people i think there's you know at least something to be seen there that could be kind of interesting yeah i fully anticipate the prequel will be about the time period between the first zombie attack and when the wall is up and they've pretty much been contained because there's this big emphasis on there are these four soldiers which are really putting in a lot of work to get people out and three of them are really important in this movie the other dies in the intro which i am assuming is a setup for the fact that that character is going to be really important in the prequel series um yeah you would assume based on the way that he acts when she dies in the intro like you'd expect her to be important to his motivations in this movie but like nope, nope doesn't, doesn't even really mention her <laughs> He's just like, oh, that happened. Well, yeah, this this movie, it tries to use a lot of metaphor and a lot of symbolism and a lot of really unique takes for a zombie movie. But it's all seriously undercut by the fact that this is just a really off the wall, grotesque, gory zombie movie. 
like anything ambitious or creative that this movie tries to do is really just not it's not done justice by just the entire medium of zombie content because there's always going to be an innate sense of you know stupid action when it comes to zombies <laughs> and that just doesn't mesh with some really weird ideas that I think Zack Snyder was trying to set up with this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of like the whole through line with zombies is just like, what if we had something to fight that we really have no connection to? What if it was like human shaped, but just just an animal actually, or a monster, (laughs) you know? Right. And I will say, I think that doing that with zombies is a lot more tasteful than what a lot of old action media did where it was just like well it's actually cool that all these people are dying and that we're killing them indiscriminately because they're russian or chinese whoever we're fighting a war against at the i mean time. is it good that we're telling the same <laughs> stories but we've just replaced all of the people that we don't like with zombies now <laughs> well no but i'm not saying there's anything else tasteful in this movie either <laughs> It's, I don't know, I mean, it's not to say that it was, like, totally bad, like, I do think, I mean, this movie pulls a Godzilla vs. Kong, I think, not quite as severe as Godzilla vs. Kong did, where, like, there are some cool fight scenes, and, you know, some of the, you know, gory zombie stuff is at least exciting, um, there's not enough of it, and it swings so violently between explosions and zombie guts to really depressing moments about these characters' backstories. <laughs> it switches back and forth so fast and so inconsistently that, like, neither really feels genuine. But, I mean, it's not that there's no good... It's not that there are no good moments on both the zombie side and their personal lives side. It's just they don't fit together at all. I do want to complain about the action scenes, though. Because, like, a big thing you normally see in movies with zombies or, you know, places where you go where you don't have, like, anywhere to supply once you're actually there is, like, there's no sense of scarcity to ammo or anything like that. So it makes the action scenes kind of lame, in my opinion. Because, first off, guns and action scenes generally just are not as interesting as hand-to-hand stuff. Because there's no, like real connection between the people fighting it's just pulling a trigger and almost all the zombies they're only weak to headshots in this movie uh but miraculously almost every single shot fired is either a miss or a headshot yeah you very rarely see like the headshot thing really come into play as an actual thing that they need to be conscious of they're just always getting headshots it's always fine but on top of that since there's no like scarcity of ammo like they're using automatic weapons and they just fire them for however long they need to, to take out all the zombies around, except for whichever one's going to drive the plot forward now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the one way that they try and add some stakes to the fact that they're just constantly firing fully automatic weapons is the fact that the guns break a lot in this movie. (laughs) Like guns jam on many occasions. And I don't think that's something that really happens in the heat of combat that often. Like, I can think of two really specific scenes where the only reason that they don't easily get away from the danger is because of gun jams. And that just seems weird. It would happen twice in that sort of a time frame. 
Um, there's also a scene where they're trying to sneak through essentially a zombie hive or nest or whatever you want to call it, and most of them make it through unscathed, but one person is left with just dozens and dozens of zombies coming at them, and they have two handguns and some kind of automatic rifle, but they fire probably a hundred plus shots in this one scene, and they only ever reload one pistol once in the middle of all of it. And it's just, it's so dumb. I, I don't know. A lot of it just doesn't doesn't make sense, but not in a way that's like excusable because it's a zombie movie, because this movie does not want you to not take it seriously. Well, naturally, as a heist movie, it has to have someone on the team that betrays them. And the guy that betrays them decides to do so way too early. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He's like, he also doesn't have any good reason to betray them. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I don't know how much I want to get into it due to spoilers. We sh- Maybe we could just say this is a spoiler episode. <laughs> but like... Nah, we do that too fast and loose already. Almost everything <laughs> we put out is a spoiler episode. <laughs> good point. <sighs> so I can just say spoilers freely. <laughs> well like basically one of the guys on the team isn't there for money um and even though there is plenty of money to be had he decides to betray everyone even though like i said he doesn't want the money and there already is money he could just let everyone take the money and have no effect on his life but for some reason he's like i need to make sure no one gets out alive it actually would have been a lot easier for him to have kept them alive, because at least then he would have had some backup. <laughs> um, I do like how uh, this movie is sometimes kind of self-aware about dumb tropes like that. Like, everyone's pretty upfront at the beginning there. It's like, that guy's gonna betray us, right? And everyone's just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> they don't do anything about it, but like they do draw attention to that fact. Uh, that conversation you're talking about—that's one of the Ooh. one of the classic scenes where Crystalia <laughs> was completely removed from the movie and replaced with Tignataro. Which disclaimer: I hate Crystalia and I love Tignataro. So like, I'm on board with this replacement on paper. The execution. Not great. <laughs> oh, not even close. It's very obvious that she's edited in throughout the whole movie. <laughs> I mean, partially based on the fact that the plot, she's not important in any, like, maybe two scenes throughout the whole movie. In almost every scene she's in, she's alone. <laughs> yeah. Or she's saying something that doesn't merit a response from the rest of the group. Uh, yeah she'll just like well one she's clearly photoshopped in on a couple of occasions there's one particular scene where you see the entire team standing like shoulder to shoulder and she is just so out of place the lighting's wrong she's blurry it's like she's spaced out weird like it's everything about it just looks a little bit wrong i absolutely loved when i saw the report though that dave batista never even met her <laughs> yeah there are there are three scenes in this movie where they are talking to each other, but they were never actually on set together or even like having these conversations in sound booths at the same time or anything. I want to mention, speaking of the CGI used to put her in the scenes, CGI in this movie is not great either. There's a scene uh, where there's a helicopter on top of the Gensino, and like the CGI there is extremely bad. The walls 
surrounding the helicopter don't appear to have texture and appear to be like almost just like plasticky. <laughs> yeah, Jackson, uh, I agree. Like there are multiple times when I honestly think they would have almost been better just using models and like superimposing them because I don't know the fact that they went for full CGI objects in certain occasions was just so weird and a lot of the times you could tell that even like the skyline was added digitally afterwards as separate objects instead of just like laying in a backdrop which was so weird i yeah it the movie it it doesn't look great the zombies themselves look fine but some of the stuff around them just seems cheaply made and i know we're going to see this in certain movies and stuff, especially ones that were worked on primarily through the COVID times. But this just seemed weird. I, I don't know. What is it with Zack Snyder and his horrible CGI movies? I'm just upset that there wasn't any kind of Jesus allegory in this movie. <sighs> Zack Snyder loves him some Jesus representation, but never actually being anything religious. <laughs> okay, well... That's a lot of Army of the Dead talk. So let's wrap it up with some reviews by some people that know a little bit more about the movie industry than we do. So (laughs) this first review comes from Mark Kermode, Kermode, I guess, from Kermode and Mayo's film review. Mark says, not great. Not terrible, but it really could have just been 90 minutes and done the same thing. And that's true, look, buddy. You're watching Zack Snyder here. You don't come into a Zack Snyder movie for a good use of your time <laughs> or for respect for you as a viewer. You come in because you want details. Details about characters that you don't care about, details about plot lines that shouldn't even be in the movie. <laughs> I yeah. I you guys would agree, right? Like, it was just a lot longer than it needed to be. Well, yeah, it was yep. two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. I remember when me and you were watching it, Jordan, um, I was thinking at some point, okay, this seems like it's about to end just based on the scenes. And then I paused it so I could go get a drink real quick, and it still had 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think any zombie movie should be more than two hours, but especially not this one. Now that we're talking about time, I did think of one more thing I wanted to say about the movie. The amount of time it takes for someone to become a zombie varies so much throughout this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the it's guy odd. in the very beginning, he's he gets bitten and then he's, like, up as a zombie, like, 30 seconds later. At the very end, someone gets bitten by a zombie and presumably you see them again, like, several hours later. And he just, like, finds a bite mark on himself and he's like well dang it's like why didn't why why didn't everyone else get all of this notice that they were going to become a zombie what's so special about this guy willpower (laughs) yeah yeah okay but anyways zach you you gotta rein it in on some of these movies bud they're just they're too long like sometimes long movies fine but not for zombie movie So let's kick it over to Reese Bowen Jones from Jump Cut Online, who says, You'd be hard-pressed to find a more mixed bag effort than Zack Snyder's latest. Normally when I think of mixed bag, I think a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. But in this case, 
it means mixed bag as just some of the craziest stuff possible thrown together, or things that are just wild to have in a zombie movie dropped in the middle of a zombie movie. I like the zombies. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were plenty. There, there this, were some. This is probably the most zombies per square inch I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> well, you haven't seen World War Z then, have you? Uh, that's that's true. I that is not. true. That was the one where they made like giant, like mountains of zombies yeah. to climb over walls and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is a scene at the very beginning of the movie where they pan over one of the walls of the city and the zombies just like packed shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. If only they were just a they little bit smarter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it looks like. You point out that when they actually go in, there's fewer zombies. It it looks like they dry out or something. Yeah. Well, they they do kind of mention that as a, oh, another man. random thing that never should have been in this movie about how you, it like the zombies come out more when it rains for some reason. Yeah. No, no, not that. Like, that those those zombies there uh, can sometimes come back to life when it rains, but they never uh, do anything with that. Yeah. It doesn't never rain in this again. movie. And presumably yeah, they was... didn't survive past this movie anyway, so like, what was the point? <laughs> What's the opposite of a Chekhov's gun? <laughs> That's what this was. Well, I guess that would just be a misuse of Chekhov's gun. <laughs> yeah. Chekhov's misfire. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, on to the last review. The one that I think really understands this movie and Zack Snyder as a person. This is from Eric Webb at the Austin American Statesman. He says, Whether it's the undead or fanboys who bully film studios, you gotta hand it to Snyder. He knows a thing or two about harnessing a horde to realize a vision. (laughs) And I I just... (laughs) I love it so much. Because, like, this guy still, like, liked the movie and had good things to say about it. But sometimes you just gotta get in a dig at Snyder's fans. <laughs> he knows a thing or two because he's seen, he's a, seen thing a thing or two. <laughs> and that brings us to this week's sponsor. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, this, this movie. Anyways, let's wrap it up with our formal reviews. So, Jackson. Give me your pros, your cons, and your score. Uh, pros. Most of the characters, even though they are bland, are not completely unlikable. Um, they they just they don't do much with the characters. Even Scott, who is the main character, I feel like he's in less of it than some of the other ones that are just like side characters. Um, this is a heck of a pro. <laughs> oh, that I said pros. I meant the start of cons. My bad. Oops. Whoopsie days. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, the action scenes aren't, for the most part, are not too good, except the one where they're uh, sneaking through, like, hibernating zombies. That one, honestly, I thought was pretty cool. Until, like, a minute into it, they were like, what if we use guns now? <laughs> um, pros? None. Oh. This movie's just... <laughs> It's, it's, I don't really like it. (laughs) There was nothing, nothing even remotely redeemable about the movie for you? (laughs) 
I mean, I wow. guess you're going to give this the movie a zero? zero out of ten. <laughs> I just can't think of anything that stands out from the things that I didn't like about the movie. Like, I still don't think I would give it a zero. I'm going to give it a four out of ten. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. It, it, yeah. Jackson coming in with the heat. So there's at least 40% pros, is what you're saying. <laughs> like I said, I can't think of anything that is good about the movie, but I feel like it is not a zero. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, we have biased in our title. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, fine. Okay. Well, you know, I'll start with my pros. Pro number one, zombie tiger. What more do you need? I'm giving <laughs> yeah. it an 11. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I also thought that that scene with the uh, like the zombie hive or nest or whatever where they were hibernating, I thought that scene was really cool. Uh, that was probably the only fight scene in the movie I actually liked. Because um, it was just this girl and she was using a knife and dual handguns to just take out so many more zombies than you expected. I thought that scene was going to be over in like 10 seconds, but it kept going on. And honestly, it was the only time I've ever seen Zack Snyder do that where I was like, yeah, this is fine. This is good. <laughs> it's by far the best scene in the movie. Um... Let's see. Any other pros? I like how one of the zombies just puts on a metal helmet. <laughs> and, and it works. <laughs> yeah. They just don't even aim for the mouth that is, like, very uncovered. Well, you know. Well, you, you they can only either miss or hit the head, so. Yeah, no middle ground. I don't, I don't really, I mean, I thought the movie was, it, like, I don't like Zack Snyder as a... <laughs> As a writer, <laughs> producer, anything like that, I, I thought the movie was directed fine. You know, like there were there were some good shots in there. <laughs> yeah. I thought the graphics were good. <laughs> um, uh. No, I mean I I don't really have that many more pros. It was just those things. Zombie tiger was awesome. The fight scene with the tiger, very cool. <laughs> That was probably my second favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. Uh, right, I, I, I kind of want to go back to mine for a second before Jordan's, because uh, I was thinking about it. I will say it had some interesting ideas with the whole like zombie high, high um, you know, you know what I'm trying to say, zombie uh, high hierarchy. Yeah, that word. Uh, I I thought that was interesting. Um. That's all I gotta say now, Jordan. You can, you can go to your review now. Well, I was actually only halfway through mine. <laughs> oh, you weren't done? You threw me <laughs> off my rhythm. Uh, in terms of cons, I mean, one, it was too long. I I feel like there were a lot of scenes that just kind of meandered for no real reason. Like, I get you want to build up stakes or, you know, like, tension by having you know some of your scenes move slowly. But if your movie's two and a half hours long, you've done it too much. Uh, I do want to applaud Zack Snyder on his, you know, people called him out for how much slow-mo he used in some of his previous movies. This time, there's only one scene that I can think of where he used it, and it was pretty good. But he used a ton of motion blur to make up for that. <laughs> wow. Like, so many scenes where things are blurry, and like, it was so weird. That was probably more to cover up the <laughs> the bad textures. Bad CGI. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I would say overall, I'll, I'll give the movie a, a 5 out of 10. It was, and I quote, fine. Or I, I meant to say, you can quote me on that. <laughs> I want to start this review off by summing it up as succinctly as I possibly can. This is not the worst movie we've reviewed on this podcast. It is, however, the second worst movie we've reviewed on this podcast. Take that, Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just got dethroned. Think... Okay, so, pros. I think this idea of layering a heist movie over a zombie movie had promise. I think, in some ways, that worked. But that introduces a much bigger con in that it wasn't a good heist movie or a good zombie movie. (laughs) Pros, it has some really interesting ideas about how the zombies live and about how society reacts to the zombies. But again, is undercut by a con, which is that it takes itself way too seriously about that. Oh, wait, wait, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. You can just continue your review afterwards, but I have to say something now, and I don't (laughs) care that I'm interrupting. Um, There's this really good scene in the beginning where the team is meeting, like, the guy that's sending them on the mission, and one of the guys on the team is just like, I don't want to do this, and he drives away. (laughs) And that's literally the last you see of that character. (laughs) He just leaves. I kept expecting them to, like, shoot him or something, like, while he was driving away to make it clear to the other characters that, like, they don't have a choice anymore, (laughs) but... I was expecting the exact same thing. I almost wonder if maybe there's a cut scene somewhere in the mix that would have explained something else about that guy, because... Yeah, that was that was nothing, and totally out of the blue. He's just like zombies. Um, I'm out. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, you can um, uh, Jackson, if you want to finish up your review now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, I referenced the idea of the Chekhov's misfire uh, previously, and there's a big one which aggravates me a lot more than it should. So in this, one of the four characters that used to go and save people out of Las Vegas before the walls went up. His primary weapon was, like, an axe with a big rotating blade. And it's really cool. And, like, they could have done some cool stuff with it. But instead of using it as a weapon, they use it to cut through a fence once, and that's the only time it's put to practical use. And, like, that just really bummed me out. They also cut through a concrete wall with it. Oh, yeah, you know how you do with with an axe. Um, Or chainsaw, whatever. But, like, I don't know. I think that this movie, it it tries to be two separate movies that don't mesh at all. Like, they have no true integrated connection. And, like, if you want to get serious in a zombie movie, you need to put a lot more on the characters. But in this movie, they are all just caricatures of themselves they are not real people (laughs) like they don't feel like honest to god characters and it are honest to god humans it's just i don't know i i it's not that there's nothing good about it it's just that there was a lot of ideas that weren't acted upon there were a lot of things that felt out of place and there were some things in this movie that i won't get into for spoiler reasons that were just weird and 
sequel bait e, but not in a good way. And I don't know. I, I I'm gonna split the difference with you guys and give it a four point five out of out of ten. <laughs> it's just I don't know. It was it wasn't a good zombie movie, and it wasn't a good heist movie, and that's what it was supposed to be. <laughs> but anyways, that's a lot of Army of the Dead. And we got a lot of other stuff we gotta talk about. So we're gonna take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Y'all, we've had some stuff happen in the media world over the last week. We got some trailers, some reunions, some gameplay stuff, some real weird news about some old internet videos it's it's all coming up but first let's dig into that new eternals trailer for those of you who aren't familiar the eternals is one of the upcoming movies in the marvel cinematic universe which is centered around entirely new characters that have had no connection to the movies previously as far as we know and are about some of the weirdest and wildest characters in the marvel universe some that people are totally unfamiliar with or have very little background on. It's definitely the weirdest team up in the MCU, barring maybe Guardians of the Galaxy, which turned into a mega hit. So, like, this could very well do the same. And I think it's got some very talented and funny people involved. So, like, that's a good possibility. But specifically getting into some of the characters it's, it's introducing, it's got Black Knight, Thena, Icarus, Cersei, Gilgamesh, people that no one has heard of, <laughs> to be frank. <laughs> Comic fans are going to know and love some of these, especially Black Knight and Thena, but like a lot of these are no names. Like I don't know any of them personally, and that's even like after reading quite a few comics. But like that got me thinking, what other really weird Marvel characters do you guys think should join the MCU? Like I've got one that I've kept in my mind and my heart for quite a while. He's an old Human Torch villain. And I'm not talking Johnny Storm the Human Torch. I'm talking everybody's favorite Human Torch. His name is the Human Torch. He's a robot. Back in like the 60s or whatever. 50s, Hmm. 40s maybe. But like before he was Johnny Storm. But anyways. He had a villain named Asbestos Lady. (laughs) (laughs) And I know what Uh. you're thinking. What kind of superpowers could Asbestos Lady have? And let me tell you, she's got a fireproof costume made of asbestos and a flamethrower, as well as guns. She just has normal guns, too, with asbestos bullets. Oh, God, Asbestos Woman. I, it's asbestos Lady. Please. Asbestos yeah. Lady. Sorry. Uh, she's Sorry, also, Asbestos Lady. She's also gone by the name Asbestos Girl. Um, <laughs> but please keep the respect in there. Yeah. Uh, she yeah. was a gifted scientist who apparently had no idea what asbestos did. Didn't she die of cancer? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ruins the illusion if you ask the question that way, though. <laughs> Now you now it looks like you have previous knowledge of asbestos lady. Jackson, tell me more about her. Um uh that's all I know. That's all I'm allowed to legally say. <laughs> so Jackson, is anyone like any one character or group of characters you really want to see in the MCU? 
not really a bizarre character. She has kind of been in a little uh, smaller Marvel stuff recently, but I think a action comedy Disney Plus show for Squirrel Girl would be pretty good. Squirrel Girl is an awesome character. She has had some representation in some like animated series and stuff lately, so like I wouldn't be shocked if we see her in the MCU in some capacity in the near future. I also like how she's one of those like Deadpool type characters where uh, she is just bizarrely powerful for some reason, and like I-, I dig that. I don't like the ramifications of that on like team up movies and things, but like you know it's cool. See, that's that's why I think it'd be best if she was like a, a separate, uh, like still like part of the MCU, but like. Not really part of anything else. Kind of like how Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. was for a while before they were like, it's just not canon with the MCU. <laughs> yeah. Back when they were trying to include the illusion of canon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the Fringe reunion happened. Jason, why don't you give us the rundown on what's happening with Far Cry 6 right now and why it's making waves. Far Cry 6, everyone's trying to say that it's clearly based on Cuba and what happened there. But it's not, okay? The creators, they just, they came out, they said it's not based on Cuba. It's not political at all. There's no politics behind this game where you're going and deposing a leader of a Latin island nation. Do you have any questions about that? Like, um... I can I can describe a little bit more. No, I, I just think it's important that everyone understands that all of the many, many, many parallels to Cuba that are in this in this game are all just one hundred percent coincidence. They're not trying to make any any political statement. There is no deeper message. The fact that this is really really similar to what happened in cuba is just coincidence we promise ubisoft they've they have a history of making it clear that their games are not political i mean that game where you were you know maybe just far cry 4 is a good example where you're also deposing the leader of a mysterious nation uh that's not political the fact that there are, you know, multiple guerrilla fighter warrior groups uh, that are all, you know, also trying to maintain control and they all have their own, you know, kind of ideas about how the nation should be run. Not political. Yeah. It's not trying to make a statement about uh, Cuba, but it is based off real life stories of Cuban guerrilla fighters. Far Cry 5, the game where, you know, famously you were trying to take down a religious zealot in like utah or whatever i don't remember montana maybe not like political that. no i mean barely barely even comparable to what was actually happening in the midwest but i think this really reminds me that like some of the best games of all time were non-political like for example one of my all-time favorites was the non-political masterpiece bioshock i mean I look at that game, and I think, wow, games today are just too political. I liked it back in the day. I look at this world where this libertarian lifestyle leads to people that are genetically altered into a level of absolute horror, and where society is completely crumbled, 
and that life as we know it is becoming basically unlivable. And I think, man, I wish games were still that unpolitical. <laughs> My favorite apolitical game, personally, is definitely Metal Gear Solid. I mean, the fact that the first game you're trying to take down a splinter cell from an American military group that split off because their own ideals started separating from America's apolitical masterpiece. When Metal Gear Solid said that the government was actually run by a shadow organization called the Patriots, I knew that they were not going to let any politics in there. It's just a simple game about how giant robots with nukes is cool. And that's really all anyone was looking for. One of my all-time favorite non-political games, also by Ubisoft, uh, Assassin's Creed 3. Are you trying to imply that there might be something political about the American Revolution? No, there's nothing political about it. Oh, uh, yes, thank you. Sorry, I, I got confused. Yeah. yeah. Horizon Zero Dawn. It's got a sequel coming. And we just got new gameplay, and I'm just going to put whatever character I've been trying to play for the last several minutes in a box, just for long enough to say, like, oh man, I'm so excited about this game. <laughs> like, the gameplay reveal was so cool, and it's it shows that they're improving upon everything from the previous game and making the most of the new consoles. And it, it shot from, like, a game that was like, I bet that'll be good to, like, easily my most anticipated game like i am so excited after watching this horizon zero dawn is literally my favorite game about crouching in waist high red plants <laughs> look it's about a lot of things and yeah it's 40 percent that but it's also cool viking people fighting dino robot dinosaurs so like you give and you give and you take Horizon Zero Dawn is my favorite game that I've never beat, so I know I love Horizon <laughs> Forbidden West. Horizon Zero Dawn is one of the few games I've actually beaten multiple times that isn't, like, 25 years old. <laughs> like, it is genuinely one of my favorite games of the last console generation. I think what it does is just so far up my alley. I, I know, like, I totally get why it doesn't resonate with some people and why some people get bored of it so fast, but... I just think they've created such a cool world, and somehow they came up with like an actually good justification for there being giant metal uh, robots roaming the Earth. And like, yeah, I, I'm just very, very excited for what's to come with the series. I, I really love the first game, and after seeing this, it really cements the fact that they know what people like about this game, and they're really capitalizing on that. Yeah, I guess I should probably actually finish up with Zero Dawn. I played a few hours of it, but it, it just, it never really hit me. Willy Wonka? <laughs> We're learning more about him for some reason. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet <laughs> has been cast to play a young Willy Wonka in a movie just called Wonka. And based on this and the recent movie Cruella, which is the backstory of Cruella de Vil, which we needed for some reason it's really showing that movie makers really really love to talk about why sociopaths are sociopaths and it's just got me thinking like what are some sociopaths you guys want to see movies about for me i it i always come back to one character one of my favorite villains from across all of media 
And I want to give you the pitch on the movie instead of just saying the name real quick. So it's an animated movie, and I think we need to keep it that way, unlike Cruella, and there's cowards wanting it to be live action. But you look over this familiar kingdom with this giant palace up on a hill and these small farmers littering the the pathways down and it's a real pretty scene but suddenly things just go dark and this kingdom we all know and love is just on fire and panic is ensuing and then it zooms in on the castle and this iconic villain and her incredibly obscene plumage and you just see in bold letters across the top of the screen Yzma I'd watch that alright <laughs> yeah does it yeah. we get to see you know cause Cusco says that Kronk is just one in a line of like similar guys to Kronk that Yzma keeps around at different times so you, you really get to see like the proto Kronk in a lot of ways yeah yeah so like I think in in some ways, this movie could really be set up with Kronk as the hero in the end. But I... Ooh. It should take place over, like, Yzma's whole life, though. So, like, you really see dozens of people in this role, and they're all, like, different levels of conniving sidekick. And then you get Kronk, who's, like, the one who fixed it all. I like to think it is just Kronk being reincarnated. But over time, he becomes more caring. <gasps> okay. Right. I'm in on that too. Yeah. And the final Kronk is the one that ends the cycle by doing the right thing <laughs> and helping yeah. to maintain the current political status quo. <laughs> Isn't it awesome how <laughs> the biggest lesson we all learn in Emperor's New Grooves is like, I, I guess it's just like the devil you know, right? <laughs> like, Maybe your abusive leader will get better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I guess that's really the, that's kind of the moral of the story for the people that live there. That, maybe that's why they told it from Cusco's point of view. The sociopath I would love to see get a background film. Uh, let me just pitch the movie to you. It's this all-powerful wizard. Um, you know, he has, he can literally alter reality with his hands. Until one day, he, of course, gets trapped in a lamp. He lives out his days as a genie granting wishes for people and just trying to find a way to get rid of his chains that force him to continue being a genie. And one day he's finally awoken by someone that might just have that power. He comes out of his lamp and he sees Timmy Turner. I'm talking a Norm movie. Yeah. Norm from the Fairly Fairly Odd Parents. <laughs> I want to see it. Maybe it can yeah. even explain, you know, maybe it'll explain how Smoof was actually created just to rein his power in. I think there's a lot of Fairly Odd Parents lore we've never really gotten that we need. Like, as a viewer, I need to know more. That is something that needs a Zack Snyder work. Like, give me that dark and gritty origin story for the Fairly Odd Parents. <laughs> tertiary characters <laughs> just norm i don't care about the rest of the characters actually i mean like maybe yeah. maybe jorgen von strangle can be in the movie mm. but like really yeah. the star of the show is norm i'm i'm totally in on this one 
You guys know NFTs. I mean, no one really knows NFTs, but you know what I'm talking about. One sold this week for a whopping $760,999 for the Charlie Bit My Finger video. Now I know what you're thinking. What a deal. I'd easily pay over $700,000 for Charlie Bit My Finger, but only one person's lucky enough to own that and have the rights to make a parody video with the original actors. <laughs> and like, what a time to be alive, y'all. <laughs> um, so I actually just went and downloaded that video. <laughs> How much did it cost? Uh, it was free. What? It might be... I don't think it's illegal. It might be. But even so, I think I just stole... Seven hundred and sixty thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars from someone. I imagine there being some scenario where someone just paid a gratuitous amount of money for an NFT, and then suddenly there's like a hostage situation just because someone like clicked download on YouTube or something. <laughs> they accidentally delete it before they send it over to the guy that bought it. <laughs> And the only person that has it is some random person that just downloaded it for fun. Yeah. It's like, well, this is uncomfortable, isn't it? Yeah. Now, I know for me, if I had $760,999 to spend on an NFT, I would go for another internet classic, the second most famous Charlie on the internet. I'm, of course, talking about Charlie the Unicorn. Not because, like, I thought it was that good or has aged well or is still funny at all, but, like, I would just have, like, a digital picture frame always showing Charlie the Unicorn in my house, and if I had people over, they'd be like, that's weird, I remember that, and I'd be like, yeah, I, I own that now. <laughs> you know, there's nothing stopping you from just doing that anyways. <laughs> Well, Who's gonna I call have to have the NFT. Who's going to call you? I have to. <laughs> yeah. If I said that uh, I owned the NFT for some random YouTube video, like. <laughs> technically. Especially one no one's watched in 10 years. Yeah. I mean, like, technically, do I already hold the NFT for any of my movies that I have uploaded to YouTube? Hmm. How much could I sell a video of me and one of my friends playing Minecraft for? <laughs> <laughs> Well, hopefully, Ugh. approximately $760,999. Well, something has to make up for the money that I spent on Charlie Bit My Finger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just gotta break even on these NFTs. Jackson, is there is there a movie or a video of any kind where you're just like, yeah, I'd, I'd pay my fortune to own that? There, There's this classic uh, Vine, or maybe it's just a, a short video on youtube where there's it's just a security camera footage from this uh little like convenience store and then a guy just falls through the ceiling and he says hey ron and some other guy there just says hey billy and then it just ends i would love to buy that for seven hundred and sixty thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars I personally really want to buy the video that the hit Drew Gooden Vine where he says, road work ahead. <laughs> yeah, bud. I sure hope it does. Yeah. Yeah. 
There's a lot of stuff out there on the internet that's worth $760,999, and so much of it is free, and it's just, (laughs) that's the times we're living in. It's like every time we go on YouTube, or I guess the kids go to TikTok now, they're stealing that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Anything that could potentially be sold as an NFT somewhere down the road should not be free to just watch. I have that video up on my PC right now of uh, Ron saying hi to Billy, and does that make me a criminal right now? I mean, you were already a criminal for some other stuff, but like, it's probably not helping your case. All right. I mean, that time at the beginning of the episode when you described it as two horny people in a car, I mean, I'm calling the police about that for sure. (laughs) So like, you know, we'll just add it to your tab. So the Charlie bit my finger... Um, if I just, can we just distribute that with this episode of the podcast? I guess we could just put a GIF (laughs) with it that's just, like, the actual biting process, and, like, I guess at that point we own at least a portion of $760,999. Every time I say that number, I'm getting a little less articulate with it. (laughs) $760,999. What else have you guys been into, other than what we're going to be talking about next week, which we've all been spending a good bit of time with? One of my favorite bands, just uh, a little over a week ago, 21 Pilots released their new album, Skilled Nicey, and it is pretty good. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't think it's as good as their album before that, Trench, but I would probably place it as their second best album. Uh they they do this whole thing since uh like their third album or so blurry face where they've been having this whole like story thing being told through it. I don't really know what any of that is. So this album's kind of weird for me cuz this this album's a lot more open about that. <laughs> and then I've also been playing the new season of Destiny 2 season of The Splicer. And uh we're in like week 4 now. Um, there's been, you know, some new Nightfall weapons added, a new activity with some pretty good weapons with some pretty interesting perks, like, uh, one where it's just, I think getting kills, uh, increases, like, your aim down sight speed and your mobility while using that weapon, some interesting, like, stuff like that, uh, yeah, uh, it introduced a new, like, seasonal weekly mission that's pretty short. Uh, it's got some pretty cool visuals because it takes place in like the Vex network. It's got like this sort of like eighties, uh, like, uh, like vaporwave. Yeah, sort of thing to it. It's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, man, talking about Twenty One Pilots and the video game <laughs> Destiny in one fell swoop. He has just completely destroyed his credibility as someone that we listen to for reviews. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, no, I'll I'll admit I like Twenty One Pilots more than I thought I would. I didn't really start listening to them until like several months ago. They had that one big track about the quarantine or something. I was like, this actually isn't bad. I I listened to it up a little bit after that. Um, but yeah, Jason, what else have you been into besides Twenty One Pilots and Destiny, of course? Oh, well, obviously. <laughs> um, I went yeah. to the hit Disney theme park disney world 
yeah, I spent, that's why we didn't put out an episode two weeks ago. I spent uh, a whole week with the mouse himself, uh, interrogating him mostly, but you know, occasionally having a good time. Uh, I rode Space Mountain. I rode Splash Mountain. They got a mountain there. I rode it, except for Expedition <laughs> Everest because I was tired that day. <laughs> uh, and I just gotta say, it's a pretty good theme park. Um, I think that they're lifting some of their COVID restrictions a little too early, but you know, it's nice to be able to kind of go out after the quarantine, uh, you know, spending so much time just at home, go to a theme park, even if it's just for a week and then coming back to never leaving my house again. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it was a good time. Special. Got to spend it with family. You know, uh, Jackson was there. Jordan was there. Hayden was there. Really, the whole crew, if you will. Yeah. Um, you know who I didn't see there? Sora from Kingdom Hearts. What the crap, Disney? Disney's dropping the ball in their Kingdom Hearts representation. We were at Disney four years ago, and all we found was one pin. And I was thought, like, well, this has got to be the bottom of the barrel for it. But there's not even that now. <laughs> True. Oh, I guess we should review the hit ride. Star Wars Rise of the Rebellion. It is the, the Rise of the Resistance. It's the only ride at Disney World that I know of that has two lines. Because you get in an initial line, and then you, you ride the ride for a few minutes. And you think, well, that ride sucked when they take you out of the line. But then you get in another line. And that line takes you to the actual ride. And that ride is yeah. pretty good. It's also yeah. 17 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. Rise of the Resistance is it's a cool ride, but it has the lowest rate of returns in terms of how difficult it is to get on the ride versus how enjoyable the ride is. <laughs> this wasn't your average Disney ride. You couldn't just walk up and say, "I want to ride the ride, please." You had to wake up at 7 a.m. <laughs> And then check your phone to see if they would let you ride the ride. And most of the time, they said no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But one day, it's, we got lucky wild. while riding another ride that had the exact same kind of idea behind it. <laughs> right, But without the weight. Yeah, without the weight. We got in that line, we were on the ride still, and we managed to get queued up for Rise of the Resistance. And the ride that we were riding when we got queued for Rise of the Resistance was better than Rise of the Resistance, in my humble opinion. Okay, well, we've already gone real, real long, so I'm going to sort of talk about three things I've been into this week, but I'm going to do it in rapid-fire succession. First off, Biomutant. Way worse than I ever could have imagined. Literally the most disappointed I've been with the game in years. Metopia. Way better than I could have ever anticipated. Just a genuinely fun game, and I don't even know why. But the one I want to talk about a little bit more than the others, while we were at Disney, I got back into this little mobile game you might have heard of called Pokemon Go. Good news. It's a lot better now. Bad news. A lot less people play it now. (laughs) Those things don't balance each other out super well. But, like, if you liked Pokemon Go way back in 2016 when it first launched, that's right, guys. Pokemon Go is five years old. (laughs) But if you really liked it back then, give it another shot. It's got some really cool stuff going. I've added a lot more Pokemon. There's a lot more you can do, even if you're not in an immediate vicinity of a stop all the time, which used to be a huge detriment for us because we live in the middle of nowhere. And, like, it's actually a pretty good game now. 
lot lot more engaging. You know, just, just check it out. Pokemon Go. I'm sure you've heard of it. <laughs> that brings us to the end of another episode of the Totally Biased Media Project. If you want to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at TBMcast, on Instagram at Totally Biased Media, or you can send us an email with your thoughts on new released games or movies or shows or suggestions for things you want to hear us talk about or things that you don't want us to talk about anymore or just whatever your thoughts on the podcast are. Please, please reach out to us and let us know. We're, we're happy to engage with you however we can, but you gotta drop us a line. So, from the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I am Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Oof, this one has some weird energy. It's alright.